0: Broadcasting from the Hip Hop Weekly studios, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Civic Cypher. I am your host, Ramses Ja.
1: He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. Mm -hmm. You
0: are tuned into Civic Cypher. Indeed you are. And there is a lot to stick around for and a lot to talk about today. Listen, man, we've been hearing and seeing a lot of back and forth on our social media in the comments. And I know that uh, our timelines don't look any different from yours because there is a lot going on in this crazy world. Um And trust and believe that we are doing our best to fight the good fight uh, And today, that train don't stop We have a special guest that will be joining us uh, We really think it's important to introduce this man to you Because we are fans of his work um, We've had a chance to talk to him before on the Black Information Network And we have the honor of having him join us today He goes by the name of Theo E.J. Wilson uh, You may know him from the viral TED Talk that he did Where he went undercover as a White supremacist, even though in the real world, in real life, he's a black man. Um, but what he learned a lot, uh, he what he learned about was how algorithms work and how we can find ourselves in these sort of uh, digital echo chambers. And um, he has some really interesting and compelling thoughts about that. Now, that's just one thing you may know about him. Of course, he does a whole lot of other things, and I want to talk to him about all those things and so much more. Um, Also, we have a really, really special uh, Baba today for becoming a better ally. There's a person that we subscribe to um, who really needs our help. So we want you to stick around for that as well so that we can give you some game on how you can help us and help this individual make the world a little bit better of a place. So um, all that and more to stick around for. But uh, first and foremost, like we always do at this time, I think we should start things off on a high note some ebony excellence how does that sound cute shall we we shall and so today's ebony excellence as always is sponsored by major threads for innovative fashionable sportswear check majorthreads.com and we're going to highlight two individuals that really need no introduction rakim and scarface and how we're highlighting them is by bringing some attention to a new initiative that is taking place to honor hip hop legends just like these two. Um, So this comes from Black Enterprise. Honoring Rakim and Scarface, hip hop has created a lot of millionaires and even billionaires in its 50 year history, but some early pioneers never got their just due and Nas, Steve Stout and others are looking to change that. Nas and Stout have joined forces with Anderson Horwitz, co-founder Ben Horwitz and his wife, Felicia Horwitz to pay homage to hip hop pioneers through financial support. The inaugural Hip Hop Grandmaster Awards will take place November 17th and honor hip hop legends Rakim and Scarface in a celebration where 100% of proceeds will go to support hip hop greats and other creatives. Many pioneers like Scarface and Rakim were ahead of their time in shaping hip hop culture before the art form received the financial backing and success that came in the late 90s and early 2000s. Because of this, the paid in full foundation intends to right the wrongs by securing a financial future for many of those early trailblazers. The Paid in Full Foundation aims to rectify that through its grant making program by both honoring the people who built hip hop and enabling them to pursue their creative and intellectual pursuits for the benefit of society. And again, honoring him and Scarface feels entirely appropriate because... Those two are examples of excellence. Those two are people that fought fights that are unimaginable for us to bring hip hop to where it is to where we are able to enjoy this culture and share this culture with other people and, you know, globally with a global audience and for them getting their just due and the credit. I think that's entirely appropriate. So now on to the man of the hour. Mr. Theo E.J. Wilson. So I told the listeners a little bit about, you know, your your TED Talk, but I know that there is so much more that you're working on, not the least of which is I know you were working with um, the, uh, the there was a TV show um, that you were working on and a, a whole lot of other things. And you can give yourself the proper introduction. I know full well your (laughs) capabilities, but again, say hi to our listeners and give them a little bit of background about yourself.
2: How y'all doing, man? I am honored to be on this show. We've been working on this for a long time. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Listen, man, I am, I trained a poet actually. I Mm -hmm. began my career uh, thinking that I was a rapper, you know, and rap evolved into spoken word and spoken word got parried into activism. And these things combined led to uh, being a slam poetry champion, which opened the doors to the TEDx Mile High stage, and doing a talk about my experiment going undercover in the alt-right, which I thought was the most useless part of any bit of my time that I could even indulge in. Um, But it went viral, because they released it the weekend that Charlottesville happened. Mm-hmm. that opened a whole lot of doors got me on the national scene uh i am the host of a tv show on the history channel you can check out if you go to history.com right now check out i was there and um that was it sorry okay I was know, there. It's all, brother it's all good listen um and i suppose that my grasp on history showed up in poetry as the grandson of a tuskegee airman uh my, my grandfather was theobald wilson of the 99th pursuit squadron in the tuskegee Airmen. And so just having a background as a member of a Black historical family certainly helped out a lot for the History Channel gig, uh, but I'm here to help, and I use all of my gifts to the best of my abilities to move us towards liberation.
0: Absolutely. So um, what I want you to do is, for the people that may not know specifically what your experience was like going, in your experiment, going underground underground. Uh, in the alt-right talk a little bit about that um why that was uh a a an important experience and talk a little bit about what you learned and then i I do want to talk about the the show i was there as well so
2: that's what's up brother let me tell you something i started going viral on my own facebook page first Mm -hmm. because i was making black lives matter content this was like 2015 brother Mm. so um you know Eric Garner had recently been killed. You had the situation with Ferguson going down around this time. Ta-Nehisi Coates had just written the case for reparations, mm. which was the first video that I've made that went viral. Cause you know, it's a great article, but it's long winded. So I figured I'd condense it and talk it in a way that the brothers from the hood could understand. Yeah. So when that went viral, it opened me up for a lot of praise and a whole lot of hate because wow we weren't talking about echo chambers at that time there was uh, a whole lot of talk around black lives matter versus all lives matter so i got trolled and i started wondering what world are they living in man because they kept sending me the same misinformed alt fact memes and it was coming at me from all different angles i figured that there was probably some information i was missing and at that time i had a buddy Named Quincy, who worked at a marketing firm. He's the one who first uttered the words target marketing algorithm to me. I never heard that word before. Hmm. And before I knew it, I started realizing that there was black people, that there was white supremacists making fake profiles on black Twitter. (laughs) I said, The audacity of y'all to do something like that. So I said, I guess two can play that game. So when I made the profile, I don't think it took me more than 10 minutes to make this profile. This was 2015. So remember, Obama was still president. We didn't know if Trump could win. Hillary Clinton seemed inevitable, at least those who are left-leaning. And the experiment, as I got bounced down the echo chamber little by little, I saw how big this was. I saw that for a black man, the recurrence of open-faced fascist white supremacy was an existential threat. I had no choice, in my opinion, but to figure out how big this threat was. And after about eight months, I had to shut it down due to mental health concerns, brother. I, I didn't talk about that in the, in the uh, TED Talk, but I knew that Trump had a good chance of winning because of that experiment. And sure enough, he did.
1: I, I'd like to ask before we continue. Yeah, man. I'm assuming a lot of that criticism and hate and strange rhetoric that probably caught you off guard came from people that look like us. How did you process that and how did you deal with that?
2: Oh, man. Um, The old step-and-fetch-it effect, brother. Um, So, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of it. Uh, Candace Owens was like, for example, uh, she was fringe at that time. She wasn't as mainstream as she is now. Um, They were more laughable. The Hodge twins hadn't even switched over to that side yet, right? And so, mainly... At the end of the experiment, they started becoming more of a factor in those chat rooms and on those websites and in those YouTube spaces. That's how I began to realize that what was more prescient was the need for validation from Black voices. This was huge, right? Because what these Black voices were doing was putting the stamp of approval on the white supremacist narrative that says, "See, yeah, it's not just me who thinks like that. I'm not racist. These are just the quote facts, and the authority of blackness that, or the authority of anybody who suffered oppression, is what the oppressor can't wait to put on the narrative because it's the final nail in the coffin as they dehumanize the oppressed. So they were used as a, a currency, if you will." to absorb their
1: consciousness yeah we've seen that there will always be space for (laughs) for us to (laughs) jump aboard that train and give it some you know some validation yeah (laughs) but even before the experiment when you were doing black lives matter videos and speaking up on our behalf and Mm -hmm. i'm only asking this because Ramses and i have dealt with a lot of pushback from our own people when it comes to standing up for us did you get any type of strange resistance or pushback from Black people when you first started saying things like Black Lives Matter and started getting those All Lives Matter responses?
2: They were not as prevalent as they are now, which is one of the things that I think is uh, a changing of the tide, if you will. So I did get a couple of those voices, but they were largely ridiculed. They had no clout. And I will say that when you talk about Black people who vie for white approval in that way, they, I have often found, began down that path after s- experiencing deep Black rejection. Mm. Black rejection is a hard thing to take, man. What do you mean um, when you say
0: Black rejection?
2: They've been rejected by Black people to some extent. Perhaps they're in an interracial relationship.
0: Okay. Perhaps yeah. they
2: had a viewpoint that wasn't necessarily on uh, on code with uh, what a lot of other Black folks mm-hmm. feel. I know what you mean now. And white people provided a warmer space. Yeah,
0: soft space to land, yeah.
2: Right. And that is a very interesting human dynamic because humans are social beings before we are any other dimension. Anything
0: else, yeah, absolutely.
2: So if the white folks who were conservative-leaning provided a soft space to land, a warmer set of arms for those black folks who said or did something in their life that put them on the outs of the majority of black folks, that was pretty much the thing that sealed the deal for them switching over to the other side and then and i haven't talked to many people about this not even in my university lectures the bag for being a black conservative boy Mm, the bag listen the bag yeah right after the talk went viral i got hit up by jared taylor and some other far right voices millionaires and billionaires that said, if you will go to college campuses and speak against Black Lives Matter, we may be able to make it worth your while. These conservative college campuses, the, the, the ones who bring in Ben Shapiro, hmm. the ones who bring in Candace Owens, the ones who can't wait to hear from Larry Elder and would throw Thomas Sowell up in your face all the time. Right. Those Turning Point USA college groups will pay triple to quadruple what you will get paid in a college environment speaking on behalf of, of what we know is the right side of history, which is the black voice in academia.
0: That is wow,
2: heavy. Wow, bro.
0: One of the things that we deal with is um, a lot of pushback on our social media and a lot of trolls. And I think that's the nature of, of social media. Some of it is well-intentioned. Some of it is, you know, people trying to debate. But I think the nature of the communication doesn't really lend itself to people understanding any it really just allows people to get a bar off and feel better about it or two bars off. Um, But it doesn't really lend itself to people understanding each other. And believe it or not, as long as I have been a broadcaster and Q has been a broadcaster, this is something that at least for me, I'm just now learning. I thought that Mm. for a long time, I thought that you could really convince people by using an objective truth and really an appeal to humanity. And it doesn't matter the forum; they people will see that and will understand your perspective. And the fact of the matter is that I've had to learn that. And, and fortunately, your 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 uh, TED TED talk really helped us when we were making the foundation for this show. I, I, mm. I mentioned this to you before the last time that we spoke, but one of the things that we do here is we subscribe to some far right um, content on like Reddit and on, um, w- w- like Quora and all these, these places where these, these groups tend to, uh, find a, 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 a framework to exchange their ideas. And right. so, um, kind of leaning into those, uh, conversations that those people are having, we don't contribute or anything like that, but seeing how echo chambers, do the same thing as the comment section. There, it's just people getting a bar off here and there. Nobody's really talking. Nobody's challenging in each other's views. And the people that really try to change something or add or contribute something, it's they're just it's, it's spent energy. Um, I realize it's an important part of you know any sort of brand offering, but that was a hard lesson for me because I got a chance to see head on exactly what we're up against. And I feel like that's very consistent with what it was that you were saying, at least in that Ted talk.
2: Brother, uh, human beings are socially reinforced creatures, and we are very vulnerable to applause in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And it made me introspective upon which applause I might be unconsciously seeking. However, the thing that grounded me was history the thing that grounded me was an understanding of how we got here in the context of the present moment. And what I can see is that the beast of white supremacy, or should uh, a friend of mine calls white misanthropy, um, is in its final days, but it's had many days, and the days of its finality will be long. Because what's going on is that it's losing the narrative war. Sure. And it's losing the demographic war. So it is striving to recruit new voices and new faces to be avatars for its mission. However, the overwhelming tide of history is against it. And it's going to take longer than I thought, too. But ultimately, reality asserts itself. And the facts speak for themselves. And in time, it's a historical bend. The way that it don't want to look at it, do want to shut down critical race theory, quote-unquote, don't want to talk about Black history, it means that it is hiding from itself who it truly is and how it will eventually fall. And so you just got to trust the tide of time to do a lot of the work for you and plant a seed with what you got in the time that you've been allotted, bro.
1: So you were in this space... Kind of bumping into these, you know, somewhat bot accounts. You know, people yeah. who who might appear to be black, who might appear to be hip hop or urban or young or you know, cool, quote unquote. And you That's discovered right. something within the algorithm that sent you down a path that I know our listeners are going to be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So please start from the beginning. Tell us about mm-hmm. I was there, how that started, how that experience was for you, because. When I first heard about that, brother, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And then Ramses was like, yo, you got to check this out. And, you know, us driving through the deep south and listening to far right radio mm-hmm. kind of was like, OK, we get why he did that. We get why that was necessary. So take us on that journey with you.
2: Yeah, brother. Well, I was there, came years later. But what I ended up doing was. um. So one of the. I, there was this meme that kept coming up and it was a meme of a civil war battlefield. It was a picture in an old black and white tone photograph that says 600,000 white men died to free you from slavery. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. And I'm like, I did battle with the person who posted that meme for the longest time, bro. Yeah. And I realized that I wasn't going to get anywhere because I didn't understand the root from which that leaf had fallen from. Mm. And so around this time, I worked at a call center and for whatever reason, the firewalls at the call center would block out a lot of websites. And, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Vanguard Alliance was one of them. Um, American Renaissance at the time was one of them. Um, But they all had YouTube channels. And so. I literally just went in, and I'm I'm, I'm telling you, it didn't it, it it didn't take long. When I tell you, I thought this was useless, bro. What I didn't realize was that YouTube is a portal to the dark web. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that go on on YouTube that will actually pull you down the rabbit hole to the actual dark web. There's a dark YouTube. There's all of that, right? So just by the fact that the algorithm kept feeding me things, I felt no more down them. And then um, at the time, what, was eight chan or was a four chan? There was some stuff that I set up on there, but mostly. Um, I couldn't do that at work. I couldn't do that at work. Maybe a little on my phone, but the fact was is that at work was where a lot of this was done. And also at work, uh it was 2015. I remember when the shooting in the church happened, right? It oh, was 2015 yeah. where a lot of um You're talking about Dylan Roof. Yeah, Dylan Roof, yeah. right? Okay. I just joined that job. That incident specifically had me triggered as hell. Mm. And I call it triggered because I it hit a trigger. I am a police brutality survivor. So mm. here I am. I have this account. I see what's being said. Um, I'm triggered as hell with the nicest white folks in the world working around. I'm telling you the nicest white folks you ever want to meet. Right? Mm. And so um, I'm navigating some mental health things at this time. But I'm also just now going viral. So I'm getting things from both sides. And as I am going viral on my Facebook page, because that that video I made about Dylan Roof got about 100,000 views on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm taking literal cut and paste from what's being said to me about the Confederacy, about you know, um, white supremacy, and I'm saying it as my avatar, Lucius 25. And I'm just watching it get applauded. I'm watching it get lauded and hand clapped and all that stuff. My uh my profile picture was John Carter, who was a Confederate soldier in the um in the old uh John Carter of Mars novels, right? And Marvel picked it up and the image that I got was from Marvel. But the bottom line was that was one of the most inciting incidents. And, um, I remember, uh, not realizing that I was slipping into darkness and I lost two relationships because of the head trauma that I got out of that. I, I didn't mention that, but, and I, I, I did end up in therapy over that, but it was all about me figuring out an existential threat. The talk was about compassion. I was there for reconnaissance.
0: Mm. So, um, I, uh, I do want to circle back to, um, the, the show I was there and I want to get your thoughts on, uh, critical race theory. And okay. I do want to also, um, cause I know this term that you use, it's called decolonizing the narrative. And I love the eloquence of that term. So I want you to break that down for us. Um, as well as there, I have, I've, there's so much that we need to talk about, man. This is a fantastic there's conversation, but, uh, for now, let us uh, take a pause for the cause. Um, I need you to stick around because obviously we have a lot more in store.